Morning, church. You can take a seat. I'm going to get you engaged right away. I need a show of hands. How many of you have done something stupid or something you're not proud of when you were around 12 or 13 before? Okay. And the rest of you who aren't raising your hands, you're not being honest. So shame on you. Um, okay. So I'm admitting something to you this morning. I'm not exactly proud of it, but I was 13 at the time. So growing up, and, and I still struggle sometimes with it, I could not wrap my head around the end of the world. It freaked me out. It literally freaked me out. And it wasn't so much the end of the world as much as it was the thought of eternity. My mind can't wrap itself around something that goes on and on and on and on. And I could keep going on and on. And I I couldn't sleep. Luckily, my dad was a pastor, so I would keep him up at nights many times saying, Dad, I don't get it, and I can't sleep. Help me to sleep. But then I found... A solution. Put God in a box, postpone the second coming of his son. I knew my Bible well enough to know no one knows the day or the hour. Right? No one knows. So I convinced myself every single night that the next day would be the end of the world. I convinced myself of it. And if I knew it was, then I knew it couldn't be because no one knows. And I promise you, I promise you, for four plus years it worked. It worked. But then I matured, and I got to be this age. You can laugh. I will allow you to laugh. You can hold. You, there we go. That's me. Okay, this is me stuck in boy band days, okay? Ten years ago, we're talking Backstreet Boys, O-Town. I was an NSYNC fan, personally. I'll admit it. That's me with my um, bleach blonde. You can't see my earring. I usually smirk. I don't know why I'm not smirking there. But, but when I got to be this age, I realized, Tim... That's really childish to think that you can control the second coming. You're just, you're, you were just immature, is what I thought. So then I thought, okay, well, what I can do now is I know the end of the world can't happen because there are parts of the world, pockets of the globe, that have never heard the message of Jesus Christ before. Well, then it was about this time where computers and the Internet just took off. I'm like, oh, shoot. There we go. <laughs> I, I give up. And so 10 years have passed since, since that picture was taken. And my sister, who's here today, would maybe argue I haven't matured much since then. But I do know three things now, standing here today. I know our king is coming. I know I can't control it. And I know that I don't have a clue when it's going to happen. But another show of hands, any of you have like inside jokes that only, it's only inside to you? Like, really inside? Anybody? Or is that just me? Okay. So, an inside joke that's just with me. I don't... It's just weird. I don't know. But an inside joke I have is, when I meet my king, I have a feeling he just... You know, I think about, is he just going to give me a little tap on the tush and say, well, Tim, you tried. You know, kind of like... You know. But putting all jokes aside, I want to be. Sincerely, I want to be found like... The, the servant that, that Jesus describes, actually in the verses immediately before, uh, the verse we're going to look at this morning, um, where Jesus sets up this picture of, of a master and his servant. And when he comes back, he says to his servant, well done, good and faithful servant. Like, I want that to be me. And I'm sure you desire that for yourself this morning. And so this morning, it's not about earning your way to 
heaven. It's not about buying grace because when we know we're saved by grace through faith, through the pre- precious blood of Jesus Christ. We know that. But to, to, today, this morning, is about holy and righteous living because we know that faith without deeds is what? Is dead. And so this morning, we're going to be tackling a really um, big conversation of Christian response to poverty. And I hope you know this um, at least if you don't already know it right now, this is a big deal. This is a big deal for us sitting in this room. And <clears throat> the encouragement I want to begin with is that Christians are responding. Christians are responding, but, and this is the big but that really gets me going for people who know me. This is what, one of the things that really gets me going and, and is, I'm passionate about. I'm not convinced that every response, Christian response to poverty, is effective. I'm not sold that every Christian response to poverty is healthy, empowers. And I say this very, very carefully this morning, but I believe it to be true. I'm not convinced that every Christian response to poverty is Christ-like. I say that with caution. And so this morning... Anytime we find ourselves in a conversation where we could be potentially in a behavior that's unchrist-like, that's a conversation we need to have. That's, a, that's a, something we need to press into further. And so that's where we're going to go this morning. If you do have your Bibles, please open to Matthew 25. We're going to pick up in verse 31. If you don't have a Bible at home, would like one, hey, we got a gift for you. It's on the house, back there at the welcome table. Take one as you leave. Or help follow along here on the screen. This is Jesus talking here, uh, Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For when I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirst and give you drink? When do we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you. Anytime, anytime you see Jesus say, Truly, you know it's a big deal, so you want to be paying attention. He says, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then I'll say to those on his left, Depart from me, you, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. When I was hungry and you gave me no food, I was thirsty and you gave me no drink, I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me, then they will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And they will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. Listen very closely when I say this. I can't get really much more simple than this. Our God wants us to respond to poverty. 
our God desires for us. Our God desires them. That means for you to respond to poverty. And the question is respond with whom? And Chris mentioned last week that poverty has many different shapes and sizes. It looks differently, and that's true. Does that mean God desires for us to respond to the hungry? Yep. To the thirsty? Yep. To those without clothes or in prison? Yep. Those forced into child slavery half a world away? Yep. Those in emotionally or physically or sexually abusive relationships? Yep. Poor, widowed, orphaned, neglected, hurting, sick, abandoned? Yep. God desires for us to respond, and there's no other way around it. I can't get any more simple than that. I want you to take a deep breath and stop where some of you might be going, because I think it's easy for us to take what I said and then go to a place I don't want you to go. And I'm not saying this morning that God desires or expects of you as an individual to do it by yourself, to end global poverty, to put a father, a good father, in all the fatherless homes that we have in this country. God doesn't expect that of you, but he does desire this. And this is a place to pull out your little green sheets. If you have that and you're a note taker this morning, the big picture, if you walk away with anything this morning, think about this. God desires for you to respond to those who intersect your life. God desires for you to respond to those who intersect your life. So what I want to do this morning is I want to take that big picture. I want to break it down into three principles to help launch us in the right direction. And then I want to offer four specific Christian responses that we should have as we press, press into this issue. Okay. So the verse big um, kind of principle underneath the big picture is this. And again, there should be a place for you to write this in your notes. Awareness is a good first step. Awareness is a good first step. If you look back at our passage at Matthew, who asks the king for clarification? The sheep or the goats? Or the people on the left or on the right? They both do, if you look back. And those on his right will respond, King, when do we see you hungry and give you food? And likewise, though the tables have now turned, those on his left will respond, Lord, when do we not see you hungry? Or when do we see you hungry and not give you something to eat? They both ask for clarification. And Jesus paints this picture for the betterment to benefit everybody listening. No matter where you're from, he paints this picture so that whether you're left or right or you're sheep or you're goat, whatever, this is for you. And this is for you this morning as well that God wants to, Jesus wants to give you this big picture idea, to give you awareness. And if you follow, and I actually encourage you this week to go back into Matthew and read maybe the last eight chapters of Matthew. Uh, because in, in this and then following, Matthew details the final days leading up to Jesus' death and resurrection. And there's a very strong sense of urgency going on here that you really can pick up on if you get a bigger context. And Jesus is saying in this passage and beyond that, that, guys, don't you get it? Don't you understand that I'm not going to be here much longer? And when I leave, there's going to be work to be done, and it's up to you. But know that I'm not leaving you by yourself. My Father is going to give you a gift greater than me. He's going to gift you with my Spirit, who will empower you. Not to revolt against the Romans, but to bring my Father's kingdom here. Here. My Father's kingdom characterized by peace. My Father's kingdom characterized by hope and faith, 
my Father's kingdom, which is characterized by love. That's the picture that Jesus wants to paint. Awareness is a good first step. Knowing that God desires for us to respond is a good first step. We need that perspective, but it doesn't obviously end there. And the second principle is this. place for you to write this as well well in your notes. You can't respond if you aren't moving. You can't respond if you aren't moving. Um, I drew another picture for you this morning. If you can't see it in the back, I apologize. You can come check it out later if you want to, I guess. But here's my picture. Imagine this is your life. Every single one of these circles is a different life. And, and the arrows are kind of pointing your direction in life. Okay, so you're here. We're all going in different, in different directions. Our life is bringing us to different places in our workplace, in our neighborhood, whatever. God doesn't expect you here, going this way, to respond to some sort of poverty way over here. God hasn't brought those intersections in your life to happen, but when they do, you've got to be ready for it. But he doesn't expect you to respond to every single one of these. God desires for you to respond with those who intersect with your life, the people who God brought into your life in some way, shape, or form. And the big thing I want to point you to here is don't be this person. Okay, uh, this is just from what I've seen. I fear that there are a lot of Christians around the world, okay, I'm, I'm speaking globally here, who can't respond because they're not moving. They're not moving. And, and you, your life can't intersect with somebody else if you're not moving. That's just how it is. And I, I wrote down a small list. It's a small list. It can go deeper, obviously, than this. Of just possible resistors to movement. Okay, so you think through, am I moving? Am I being obedient? Am I, am I doing what God wants me to do? Here are some things that just get in the way. And it's a small list. Um, but things like pride, things like religion, things like busyness, that's a big one for, for myself at times. And for a lot of Americans, I think. Security, maybe in your finances, your retirement accounts. Suburbia, we're just stuck here that we don't have anything, any outside perspective of what's going on. Last one of this, I, I just mentioned idol of safety. Um, Chris mentioned a couple weeks ago, I think, that, that Christ went into situations where there was danger. But he also went into situations where he avoided danger. He did do that. And what I want to caution this morning is that I think there are so many Americans, Christians, who won't go somewhere, won't do something because it's not safe. And my argument to you this morning, my defense is, don't rush into someplace that's dangerous, but don't avoid it just because it is. You want to be where God wants you to be. You want to be doing what God wants you to be doing. If that's in a place where it's uncomfortable or dangerous, then you need to go there because God wants you there. And so the big test for you to answer, and this is something only you can answer, is are you too comfortable? I think that's, and this is me, okay, for people who know me, for people who've um, served on like the compassion team with me, they've heard me share about this before. But this is, this is what I think it all boils down to. Are we too comfortable? Are we too comfortable? Because when you're comfortable, you're content being content and you have no motivation to move. You have no motivation to do anything else because you're content. And you're just sitting here 
being ineffective with God's desires for you in your life. When I, when I hear and I read about Jesus saying, take up your cross and follow me. I then take a look at, okay, Jesus, what footsteps did you leave behind for me to follow? And I don't see anything in his footsteps that were comfortable. I just don't. I see self-sacrifice. I see him removing himself, emptying himself fully, and pouring out into everybody else. And that's not comfortable. And so that's a question that you need to answer for yourself because it will resist yourself and, and the movement that God desires for you in your life. Third big principle is this. <clears throat> so now imagine that you are one of these people, you're moving, your intersections are happening within your life. Maybe it's in your workplace, down the block, in your family, halfway around the world. Who knows? It looks differently. Intersections are happening. That's great. But now we need to know how to respond. And so the last um, kind of little note here, big principle, is the circumstance determines the response. The circumstance determines the response. If you notice back at, uh, in, in the Matthew passage, you see that those that were hungry, what was the response? They were given food. Those that were thirsty, what was the response? They were given drink. There's a correlation there between the circumstance and the response that we should have. And now I'm not saying, and I'll get to this in a little bit more, I'm not saying that the Christian response to poverty is if you're hungry, here's some food. In fact, I will argue very much against that, or that there's more to it than that type of response. But the big picture I want to point out here is that there is a correlation between the circumstance and our response. Chris made mention, and this is kind of our series based off of this book, in large part, um, the book When Helping Hurts. I encourage you as well to buy a copy or get a copy somehow yourself um, because we're just highlighting some big, big principles. But for the rest of this morning, I want to talk about, um, and the book mentions three of these responses. I want to talk about, okay, what responses should we have as Christians when we're engaged in this conversation of poverty? What should we be doing? What should we be supporting? Because I want to be a church that says we don't... I want to be a church that says more than just we respond to poverty. Because every single church, when you go back home, that you see on the block says we respond to poverty. That's nothing new. I want to be a church that says we respond in such a way that those who are poor in whatever poverty state that they're in, that they are empowered, that they're equipped, that they're supported, that they're loved, that they're encouraged. I want to be that church. And not every church can say that. And so that's our end goal. Our end goal that we're working towards is, and I think Chris, Chris mentioned this last week, we're working toward the restoration of relationships. That's the end goal. To restore people to their creator, restore people to the rest of creation with ourselves and with each other. That's the end goal. So if you take your green sheet, there are no fill-in-the-blanks, but there's just um, some area for you to take some notes if you'd like. First um, response that I believe, and this one's actually not mentioned in the book, um, but I, I just believe this is a response we need to have in our tool belt as we engage in this conversation. And the first one's rescue. And this is where a person, an individual, or individuals need to physically be removed, taken from a situation to avoid major physical, emotional, sexual harm in some way. A good example I give of this is that of Raimundo. Oh, he just he didn't know I was throwing his name out there, and now he's looking at me. Oh, here's a story. 
here's a story where, and, and I, can, I would love to share more with you when we have more time. And actually, it's pretty cool because he actually knows enough English now where he could probably share that with you, which is really cool. But here's a situation where he needed to be, he needed to be physically removed from his situation in Wajaraz. He needed to be to avoid major harm to himself and to other people. It was, that was a rescue. That was a response that we need to have, that we need to be aware of. Second one is this. Second one, and this is where the book um, highlights the next three here. The, the next one's relief. That's efforts on our part to essentially stop the bleeding. That's just the best, most simplified words I can use. Stopping the bleeding. It's, it's providing emergency aid immediately after some sort of, of crisis, disaster. And, and I want to draw special attention to this one because I think um, that this is where American churches tend to get themselves into trouble. When I mentioned earlier that there are, I believe, to be some responses that maybe aren't effective, maybe they aren't healthy, I'm talking primarily about relief because oftentimes American churches tend, tend to stay there for far too long. Relief should have three qualities to it. Relief should be seldom. Relief should be immediate and relief should be temporary. Seldomly used, but when it is used, it's used right away, immediately following something. Just like Haiti, there were groups and organizations on the plane hitting the ground the next day. It's immediate, and then it's temporary. We're not down there forever. We're not doing whatever it is we're doing forever. It's relief. It's there's a disaster. We're responding to it right away. And when it helps, stop the bleeding. That's relief. And relief then moves into the third response I want to make ourselves aware of today, and that's rehabilitation. Rehabilitation means it's the process of beginning to restore people and the communities back to their pre-crisis condition, or to the positive elements of their pre-crisis condition. Okay, a good example I give of this would be um, it's, it's working with people not working for them. And so, like, for example, with Haiti, when there are all these organizations coming down, starting to build homes again, there are organizations that said, I'm not going to build a home for you. I'm going to build a home with you. Here's a hammer. Okay, it's coming alongside. It's walking with. It's not doing something for. That's rehabilitation. It's restoring people back to whatever happened, trying to restore that relationship back to the pre-crisis condition. That's response, response number three. And the fourth one, to just jot something down on, would be development. Um, Mary up here mentioned in, during announcements of, of um, what the covenant denomination is doing. And that's what I love about the covenant um, churches. They are so focused on development, and, and these other areas as well. But they get a bigger picture. And, and development is ongoing. It's an ongoing process. It's a process of empowering the material poor people to fulfill their calling of glorifying God by working and supporting themselves with the fruits of their labor. Emphasis on their own labor, not somebody else's. That's what development is. And that's an ongoing thing. Ongoing thing. We always should be developing. It's enhancing skills so that people can support and work for themselves and their family. I want to take these four and I'll put them on hold I'm going to come back to them in a minute I want to close with a story um, a story that <clears throat> encounter I had that God really used to to shake me big time uh, I was in the most one of the most beautiful places in the world I was on a vision trip two years ago to um, 
Cape Town, South Africa. Never been there before and love to travel. Strongly encouraged. Um, but I'm sitting here and I'm meeting with an organization called Living Hope, and they work with um, the AIDS-stricken, poverty-stricken townships um, there in Cape Town. And I'm meeting with Avril. Avril is co-founder of the ministry. She's kind of the on-the-ground, make-things-go lady. She um, has been doing it for 30 years, just an incredible um, woman of God. And we are about to go out to a cafe um, that overlooks the ocean. <clears throat> and as we're walking up to the, to the cafe, we, we run across this boy. And this boy was sitting at the entrance of the cafe. And he was kind of huddled down. He had his head in his lap. And he was crying. And he had his elbow clinged to his hip. And he had his arm out like this. And he just was, he just was bawling quietly. And I, I didn't know what to do. Okay, I'm, I'm just, I'm new to this game. Okay, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking to Ava like, okay, what do we do here? I came for food, and I come across this. What do I do? And Avril starts with what I think is just the coolest thing. She just says, finds out his name. Let's start this relationship together. And so Avril turns to him and says, "What's your name, boy?" And he, resp- he replies, he looks up just a little bit, and he says, Francie, ma'am. My name's Francie, ma'am. So she keeps asking questions. Well, did you go to school today? Because she noticed he wasn't wearing a school uniform, and in Cape Town, in order to go to school, you have to have a uniform. And, she said, and he said, yeah, I went to school today. And then he, she, she replied and said, well, where do you live? And he said, in Capricorn. And, it, and what's... <clears throat> Capricorn was a township maybe a mile away. I mean, what, what's so incredible about, incredible is a bad word, but just it, it's a sight to see there in, in Cape Town is you can go from prosperity to poverty, literally is block to block. Like we were going and um, a friend of my wife's was down there and she was showing me all these Brad Pitt's house and all these actors and actresses. In order for Brad Pitt to get to Banana Republic, he had to walk around a township. I mean, that's just, it just, it's mind-boggling how this works. And Capricorn was a township about a mile away from this very affluent area. A mile away, walking distance. And the story, the brief story of Capricorn was back in the apartheid. Um, this is one of many townships where people were forcibly moved out. And with Capricorn specifically, the council or the government went to, to this, um, to the group, the, the majority groups there and said, you need to move. And we have a place for you to move to. And then they, they made this promise. They said, if you move there, we promise to build you homes within you know, six months. But you need to move there to show that you're willing to be here. And I forget the exact number, but literally over one weekend, like six to 8,000 people built homes Friday, Saturday night with tin with wood whatever scraps they could come up with expecting a home six months passed a year passed no home and they said hey they kind of approached the council said where's the promise where's our homes and the council replied and said you're not good enough and not only did they say that they they kicked them while they were down and they built brand new town home condominiums very nice very affluent across the street of the township for the white 
minority group there. So that every morning when they got up, what they would see was a symbol that they're not good enough. And that was his home, a place that he called home, a place of 83% unemployment rate, a place where 20%, and this is low, but 20%, they think 30 to 40% are HIV positive, a place where um, there is no, to this day, there's still no paved roads. For a long time, they had no electricity. There were 21 public taps that had to be used for 1,000 families. Toilet buckets being removed every week by the council. This is his home. And he, he, we ask him, can you bring us to your actual home? Because it's a big township, and it's easy to get, well, for me, easy to get lost in there. And he says, yeah. So we pick him up, we take him in Avril's car, and he brings us by this area. And you can't, I didn't want to be that guy just snapping photos everywhere I went. I just... I don't, I'm not comfortable with that, but I was able to get one picture. And he was able to kind of lead us down a little path um, down there into a, a tin home about the size, maybe a little smaller than like the, the square here. And I remember approaching it, and all I hear is screaming and crying coming out of this home. And Avril goes to the door. She just knocks and welcomes us as a woman not older than 30, 30, maybe. And Avril says, well, are you, are you Francie's mother? He says, she says, no, I'm, I'm Francie's auntie. Okay, can I, can I meet, can I talk with Francie's mom? Because I'm a little concerned. I found him crying and, and, and begging for money about a mile down at that cafe. And here is her response, and this is something that just really shook me at the time and still... I still just struggle with. She said, Francie's mom died two months ago from an illness. And it's taboo in these townships to talk about AIDS. You, you don't do it. And they refer everything to an illness. Okay? And she said, Francie's mom died two months ago of an illness. Francie's dad died two years ago from an illness. My husband, Francie's uncle, was right back in the corner. She said, he's, he's um, dying of an illness in the back of the house. And that leaves me to take care and support my three kids, Francie and Francie's three siblings. So seven all, seven people in all. And she said, I have no job. I have no way to support this big family that's now mine. And she said, I woke up, if you can go back to the picture, I woke up this morning and I hit my rock bottom, and I looked at him, and I told him, Francie, you're my oldest. I love you, but I can't afford you any longer. You're going to have to go support yourself now. And she kicked him out. And at this point, I'm, I'm I mean, I, I don't know what to do. This was new to me. And then, and it was literally, this literally, and I, I looked at my calendar, this literally happened two years ago today, this interaction with this boy. And as I was preparing for this message, I looked back at Avril's response was remarkable. When we talk about Christian response to poverty, what I would have done, I would have pulled out my billfold, crying, probably, given whatever's in there, and said, I'll pray for you. Good luck, more or less. 
Here's what she did. If you can go to the four responses of, of, of poverty again. This is what she did. She rescued Francie. She literally pulled him from the, the life of, of begging and gangs. Uh, what's very common in this city is that um, kids age of 16 or 17 run the streets. And they recruit people younger than them to beg for them. And if you don't meet a certain quota, you don't get a, bring me a certain amount of money every day, that's not good for you. And I'm going to keep the majority. You can keep a small amount for yourself. And that was a path Francie was on because he was off on the streets by himself. And in some way, he would need to support himself and find a group to come around him. And she was able to rescue him from that relief. She was able to give hospital care to the dying uncle before he passed. And she did provide about two to three works of fruit, uh, weeks' worth of fruit and vegetables for the family to stop the bleeding. She didn't stop their rehabilitation. What she did is she um, got the mom into a support group in the township so the mom could talk with and just open up about what she was facing with other people who were going through the same thing with professionals who could help guide them through it. With the kids, she got them plugged into kids' clubs um, that their organization provided for kids where every day after school they can come, they can get nourished, they can hear about the gospel, and they can enhance their academic skills. Rehabilitation. And then finally, development. What she was able to do is she was able to get the mom into an empo- a woman, woman empowerment workshop where she was able to, over the course of six weeks or something on the weekends, to develop a skill that she could then take back into her township and create her own business. It's ongoing. It's, it's helping her move to a place of, of sustainability on her own. I think about that, and I think here is a woman that understood poverty. She understood brokenness, and she understood that it went, it, this goes beyond money. It goes beyond resources. It goes beyond a handout. She had this perspective that it's about relationships. It's about empowering people. It's about coming alongside of people. And so when she's out doing her thing, and she was moving, She was prepared so that when an intersection in her life came, she was ready to respond. And yes, she went to that cafe that day to meet with me and talk about vision and ways that we could collaborate. But what she really came to do was respond to a boy who needed help. But it's having that perspective, that awareness that God desires for us to respond and that we need, in order to respond, we need to be moving and open to that. Coming back full circle this morning uh, to the initial thought, we know our king is coming. And for those of you here this morning, that's great news. But the reality is, and I've heard this many times before, that it's not good news for everybody. For people who are, have literally been kicked to the curb, for people who are in abusive situations, for people scavenging to find their own food, the coming news... The news of a coming king isn't good news because they can't, they can't look beyond what's for dinner tonight or how am I going to avoid the abusive husband that's coming home in 45 minutes. The gospel message doesn't have that because it doesn't have power because they're here and they're now stinks. It's horrible. But how cool and how powerful is the real gospel message 
of Jesus Christ. That if you're hungry, the church, empowered by the Spirit, will come beside you. Will work alongside of you. And it's not, and I would argue, not to just give you food, but to empower you in a way to fulfill God's calling in your life. How cool, how powerful is the real message of Jesus Christ. That the church, empowered by the Spirit, will come alongside of you, will work alongside of you, will pray for you and love you and encourage you and support you wherever you are at. So that you're here and you're now is going to be better. And it's brought with the eternal hope of our coming King and your future is a heck of a lot brighter too. That is a message that we need to bring as Christ followers out of these doors. So I think I, I told this story and I got some of them in here to my youth group, senior high, like three weeks ago or something. And their jaws, like information overload, I think. Like they're just really like, uh, fellow leader John was like, okay guys, that was a lot to handle, wasn't it? <laughs> and I get it. I get it. That this is a lot of stuff. And, but what I want to encourage you this morning is that God doesn't expect you to do everything. God expects you to respond with those who he puts in your life, wherever you are. And so I have a few next steps. Where do I go from here? I'm someone who likes to know, okay, show me, show me where to go, which is dangerous sometimes. But show me where to go. Give me some next steps. Here are just some big things. Chris highlighted them last week, and I'll, I'll um, highlight a few of them again this week. Come back for week four as we put a wrap on the series as we dive deeper into this issue. Get the book, When Helping Hurts. Phenomenal book. You all should read it. Um, engage in, like Joel mentioned during the announcements, a prayer calendar, the coin drive, your local, our local food shelf here. Be part of a team that go into North Minneapolis for urban homework. Sponsor a kid at Emmanuel Children's Home. Join the team. Our team's always looking for people to come on board. So join the Compassion Justice Mission Team. I would love to have you part of it. Or visit Haiti or Juarez this spring. I'm pumped. we got official dates. We're going to go visit Ryan and Melissa late February, early March. We're going down. I think it's like the 28th to March 5th. We're going to Haiti. And then a couple weeks after that, March 12th to the 19th, we're going down to the Emanuel Children's Home in Juarez. And so some of you maybe just need to encounter God in a different way so he can shake you up a little bit. These trips will do that. I, I don't want to guarantee that, but they tend to do that to people who go down there. So these things and more, do something. I want to close in prayer this morning, so bow your heads with me. God, thank you for who you are. I um, thank you that you love us. I thank you that you don't ask us to do this all by yourself. Lord, that you call us to respond to those who intersect with our life, Lord. And not only that, that you empower and equip us to respond. God, I pray that whatever obstacles could be in the way of us responding, Lord, that you will help us to remove those, that you will take those from us. I pray that you will give us eyes to see and ears to hear poverty as we encounter it on so many different levels and faces in this world, God. I pray that you give us the courage and the strength to move wherever it is that you're moving us and the obedience to follow. We thank you for who you are. Lord, thank you for being here with us this morning. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Have a good week.